Well, good morning again. Uh, welcome to part two of All My Attention. We are in this series. What we want to do is take an inventory of our thoughts and our hearts and decide if we are living a life of worship because God has called us all to live a life of worship. Now, I mentioned last week about taking inventory in a job that I had at one time when I was 16, and uh, nobody wants to do that on their job. Again, that's why they give it to the interns, generally speaking. Um, but has anyone ever done, uh, take an inventory of your clothes in your closet? And then has anyone ever forgot to do that? And then you go in your closet and you like find clothes that you haven't worn for 15 years. Has anyone ever done this? And you like, you dust them off. And a little while ago, Nicole and I were getting ready to move. So we, we, we wanted to be ruthless um, going into our closet and getting rid of a bunch of stuff that we hadn't worn. And, and I found a suit in my closet that had um, a program, I forget, or a church bulletin back when we had a church bulletin at our old building. And I hadn't worn the suit for 15 years, but I really liked it. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's sometimes we, we, we keep clothes, maybe not you, but me, we keep clothes because sometimes we have good memories in those clothes. Do you know what I'm talking about? We went to a party one time, we went to a church service, something happened, something great happened in that suit. And even though it's completely out of style and you're never gonna wear it again, you just think, how can I get rid of this thing? Because it's just such a wonderful thing. But really, it's just taking up uh, real estate in our closet. It's just taking up attention, really. Uh, and, and this is what we need to think about as it relates to our hearts and minds, as it relates to worshiping God, because we are all called to have this disposition of worship. And we need and we should take an inventory of our thoughts and our emotions and all of these things that are going on internally on the inside of us, because again, we are all called to worship. And I mentioned this last week, and it is very true, that if you, uh, especially in the West, any um, survey that they will do, people will tell you that they're less and less religious or people that have some sort of Christian background, they, they won't, well, I'm, you know, I don't identify with any specific Christian group or there's a bunch that call themselves the nuns, not, not nuns like Catholic nuns, but N-O-N-E-S, like no religion uh, of any description. I, I'm really nothing, <clears throat> which is a silly thing to say because you, everybody is something. And, and the reality is this, that everybody worships. Everybody worships, even the people that say that they aren't religious, even the people that say that they are atheists. All of us are created to worship. And if we aren't giving our attention and our heart to God, we will give it to something else because we are created to worship. So even though our society will say that they are less religious, the same amount of worship is happening in our nation than it did when our larger percent of people were attending religious gatherings. It is just how our lives are made. We are made to worship. We uh, gave this definition last week about worship. It's just simple definitions, honor, reverence, worth, respect, admiration, devotion. Everybody does all of these things all of the time. There is something at the center of every human's life that they are worshiping. We, we mentioned this last week that you can look historically and look back at a Greek mindset, we'll look at God to try to understand him, to try in our finitude, uh, in our as finite beings to understand the infinite God. 
But the Jewish family, the Jewish nation, their starting place was God. Was, you know what? We just need to worship God. He is so hard to grasp and there's so much of a mystery and we could look at creation and, and in all of its complexity and beauty and amazing things that we see in the world. And we just should be like, I am just in awe of you, God. And I've heard sometimes some scientists that they'll look at the human body and they will say, if I were to design the human body, I would have designed it completely differently. How many know that's hubris? That's like complete pride. People who, you know, you can't create anything. All we're using is the materials that have been created to create anything that we do in our lives. And we think, well, if I were to design the world, it would look like this. No, no, God created it as intended. Amen? So we start, our starting place is worship. And when we think about worship, there's divine action and then human response, that we would respond to God, the creator God, the provider God, the saving God, with a worshipful heart. Worship is a foundational impulse built into all human beings and will be expressed in some way. It will be expressed in one of two ways, toward created things, or it will be expressed in its ordained focus, which is to the creator. So there is just two options as it relates to our worship. We will either worship God or we will worship something created. God is the creator, reveals himself as the savior. Our worship should go to him or we're gonna worship created things. But everybody worships. Every day, all of the time, we are devoted to something. Something is at the center of our heart. And what we're wanting to do in this series is asking ourselves the question, is what I'm giving my attention to, does it warrant it? Should I be giving my attention to what I'm giving attention to? And the first thing we talked about last week was thoughts. Are the thoughts that I'm thinking worth thinking? Am I distinguishing? Am I discriminating against the thoughts that are coming into my life? We don't discriminate against people, but you should discriminate against the thoughts that come into your mind. Where is the source of this thought? Where is it coming from? Is it, is it causing me to have more faith in God? Is it causing me to be faithless or faithful? Am I looking at the news and, and financial reports and all these different things? And do I, do I expect somehow the world or governments or other people to be my provider? Or am I looking to God to be my provider in this moment when there's uncertainty when, when it comes to financial systems? Am I allowing and am I distinguishing between, between a certain thought that this thought is good and this thought is lesser than? And we shouldn't continue to think on the lesser than thoughts because the lesser than thoughts take our lives in a direction that we would never actually want to go. The second one we talked about last week was emotions. Man, our emotions can control our lives. And just because you have an emotion doesn't mean you should be acting on it. Doesn't mean it should be uh, in the captain's seat of your life. Has anyone ever let your emotions take the steering wheel? Instead of Jesus take the wheel, your emotions took the wheel, right? Your anger 
could take the wheel of your life, your, your frustration, your pain, your hurt. And then that could cause us to steer our lives in directions that we would never want to go. What is happening with the attention, the affection of my heart? Because a better use of our affection, our emotions, man, is to worship God. And how amazing he is and how good he is and how good of a father and a savior he is. In the world that we're in, you know, these polarizing environments in every thing that comes up in the world, it's a sad state of affairs that every, everybody just gets entrenched in these far places of the arguments and everybody has to, you know, we, we like the people that agree with us and we hate the people that disagree with us. And really, ultimately, polarization is just an outgrowth of love of self because I love the people that think like me and I hate the people that don't think like me. And so I love me. cultural hot topics. We mentioned this last week. It's just everybody wants to weigh in and we have social media now. And so we, everybody can give their opinion all times about all things. And we give our attention to these things. Does anyone uh, ever want to admit uh, you waste some time scrolling? <laughs> what are we doing with our attention? What are we looking for? What are we hoping to see that it's gonna change our lives? What are we doing with our attention? The opinions of others, and the opinions of others can control you, can stifle you, can hold you back. What do they think about this and what do they think about this? Government politics. We can give all of our affection to these things if we don't have God at, at the proper place. And I, and I would say an outgrowth of having less and less religious people in a nation is that more and more people, and then naturally, they're gonna worship these other leaders. And this is what we see in, in the area of, uh, of politics. You know, we need to pray for our political leaders, and I think Christians should be involved in politics, but we should never worship any political leader. They are just human beings for managing stuff. That's all that they are. Don't worship them. But if we take God out of the center of our lives, something else is gonna rush in there. <clears throat> Circumstances. Circumstances could be dominating our attention. The news is good to be aware of what's going on in the world. But if the news is dominating your attention, and, and we were having this discussion in our home yesterday, Generally speaking, the news that we watch is all of the bad things that are happening, right? It's like this accident, this person died, and this person was murdered, and this thing went wrong. You know, there's a bunch of other good stuff happening in the world. It just doesn't get as many clicks, right? And these, we are watching businesses work. This is what news uh, corporations are. It's, it's less exciting to say, hey, this person was really faithful to their spouse this week. It's like, well, that's boring. We wanna watch the people who cheated on their spouse. And we didn't wanna know why, with whom, and we wanna know all the gory details. 
All of those circumstances can control our lives. And we gave the story last week. It's, it's such a tremendous representation of humanity, the story of the golden calf, the children of Israel. God had miraculously taken them through the Red Sea, delivered them from Egyptian bondage. And then they just got impatient with Moses. So we're just gonna build a golden calf. So instead of actually worshiping God, the creator, God, the savior, we're going to build something and worship it. And all of us are susceptible to this. Build something, some creative thing, and worship it. So we wanna hold ourselves in this realm of worship. We wanna hold ourselves in giving our attention toward God. And here's what I wanna talk about today, is that only the humble will worship God. Only the humble will worship God. Now, the, the word humble, you know, it's, it's, it's actually kind of hard to define. And when you look up a definition and you're like, it's not pride. It's like, well, that doesn't help me very much. And really humble just means to bring low, to abase, to be meek, to contain the spirit of deference. I'm gonna defer to somebody else. And when we think about worship, this is what worship is, that I am deferring my heart and my attention away from all of these things that are all representations of me and I'm gonna to defer to God, and I'm gonna worship God, and I'm gonna put myself low, and I'm gonna lift up God, which is the opposite of our culture right now. The opposite of our culture is I need to lift up me. I don't wanna tell you about what I think, I wanna tell you what, how I feel, I wanna tell you what's going on in the inside of me, but worship of God is putting yourself down and raising up God, abasing yourself, Someone, see, this is great against people. It's great against the culture that we're living in right now. What do you mean put myself down? I'm amazing. <laughs> you know, a great definition of humility is not to think less about yourself. It's just to think about yourself less. You're not putting yourself down in the sense, well, you know, you're a child of God and God has given you worth and value and, and responsibility, but you aren't to be worshiped. And that can be a fine line sometimes and we miss out and to our culture is just pushing us to egotism constantly. Here's a little bit easier, pride. Here's some definition of pride and humility is the opposite of this. Pride is me-centric. A very high view of self, lofty, egotism, self-glory, self-centered. And here's another thing about pride that we don't often think about. Self-pity is also pride. Feeling sorry for yourself all of the time and how bad your circumstances are and anybody that will stand still for more than five minutes is gonna get a full earful of how bad your life is and how your life is, their life is better, worse than your life and here this went wrong and this went wrong and self-pity is also a form of egocentrism, just me at the center, me all of the time, feeling bad for myself. It's pride. Boasting is pride in your success. Self-pity is pride in your suffering. 
We want to be careful of either extreme. And when I'm talking about pride, I'm not talking about that you can't be excited about when you accomplish something, your kids accomplish something. That's not what I'm talking about. It is this self-centeredness, this lofty idea. Because only a humble person can listen. Only a humble person can grow. Only a humble person can change. And only a humble person can receive from God. To humble yourself as to what God has for you. To humble yourself to the ways of God. To humble yourself to the provision of God. How many know that God is a better provider than you are? And so we got to humble ourselves to all of these things that we can receive what God has for us. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28 says this. <clears throat> God chose the lowly things of this world that are despised things and the things that are not uh, things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus of whom from uh, for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So our boast, our, uh, the thing that we lift up is not ourselves. We lift up God. We worship God, but our pride gets in the way. Self-centeredness, me first, or self-pity. My life is harder than everybody else's. Both of these things are pride, but our boast needs to be in the Lord. <clears throat> Luke chapter 18, verse nine. I love the story says this in verse nine, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. So Jesus here is gonna tell us a story. That's what a parable is. To talk about somebody that trusts in themselves, that has themselves at the center of their faith. The center of our faith should not be me. The center of my ultimate trust, my ultimate reliance is not on my gifting because my gifting has actually come from God center of my trust should be God. Here, he's going to tell us a story for those who trust in themselves, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So the religious person, the person that knows the scripture, the person that has the scripture memorized, and then the tax collector, this is not necessarily uh, meaningful for us, but the tax collector was like the worst kind of sinner you could describe in this time. The tax collector, the, the Jewish tax collector was working for Rome. Rome was occupying Jewish territories. And so the tax collector was thought of as a traitor. So the Pharisee, the religious person, the person that is doing religious things all of the time, and then the worst kind of sinner. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. Here was his prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. <laughs> I know he's, got, he's praying about himself. He, he's telling God his resume about how great he is. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Unjust, so in other words, I'm just. Adulterers, I keep all the rules or even like this tax collector. 
How many know this is not a good disposition of worship? How many know if you come to church and you're worshiping God and you're worshiping and you look and you're over at someone else, you'd be like, oh, I'm so much better than them. God, my praise is better. That's a problem. Unjust adulterers are even like this tactile. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Pride in his successes. Now, how many of you know those, those things are actually good things? You shouldn't be an extortioner. You shouldn't be unjust. You shouldn't commit adultery. You shouldn't <laughs> betray your people. It's okay to fast. It's good to tithe. These are all good things, but we don't take pride. We don't lift myself up because I do all of these things or I avoid those things. But the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, the, the tax collector. The person on the outside that seemed like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be that person. But he actually had a humble heart asking God for mercy. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. So here is the goal for us as it relates to our attention. We should humble ourselves. We shouldn't wait to be humiliated because eventually life will humiliate us. Again, because if we're just thinking that we're better than everybody else because of all of that list that we don't do or that we do, we shouldn't be lifting up ourselves, humbling ourselves towards God and only the humble worship God. See, there's no way to accept the gospel without humility because the gospel says that we are hopeless without God. We are hopeless without a savior, that without him, we could do nothing. And again, this great against our, our present culture that celebrates any thought people have in their head and any emotion that they would feel in their heart. We must dignify all of these things. But here, worship says, I'm going to put all of those things down and I'm going to have God at the center of my heart. We need to be humbled to the ways of God. Because ultimately, friends, this is the place of blessing. This is the place of the life of God. To humble ourselves to all of who God is and all of what God has for you and all of what God is calling you to. Because we could make up some sort of future. We could look and design something. But how many know that God-designed future is the ultimate one? And so how do we get into a God-designed future? We, we have to humble ourselves, bring our thoughts low and our ego low and ourselves low and worship God. It's another great story. One of my favorite stories here in the Old Testament that illustrates this point, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor. Because of him, the Lord had given victory to Syria and he was mighty, 
a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. He's got a great resume. He's done all these amazing things as a warrior, but what, what is his issue? He has leprosy. How many know that kind of takes away from your life? You got all these things that you're doing, but then you have leprosy. You have this terrible disease that's eating away at your skin. Verse two, now the Syrians uh, on one of the raids carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. So Naaman, again, a military leader in one of their raids, one of their, they kidnapped somebody from Israel and there was a girl and then she ended up serving in Naaman's house. Verse three, she, talking about this girl from Israel, said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Lord means Naaman. He's the Lord of the manor, Lord of the house. Hey, there's a prophet in Samaria and he could get healed of his leprosy. Verse four. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, in other words, the king, thus and so, and talked about this, and the, the girl from the land of Israel told the story about this healing prophet. Verse five. And the king of Assyria said, go now, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. So now there's a whole national exchange happening because Naaman is a leper, and this little girl who's working in her house is, is telling Naaman that he, if he goes to Israel, he goes to the prophet, he can get healed. So he goes to the king and says, write a letter and give me some stuff to take. Give me some gifts and we'll pay for this. We'll have some sort of exchange going on between our nations. The more things change, the more things stay the same. <laughs> so he's sending this letter, this letter and then all of this stuff, verse six. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have already sent you Naaman, my servant that you may cure him of his leprosy. So the letter was going on ahead of them. You know, he couldn't like email them. It wouldn't be instantaneous. There was a letter. They actually had to travel back in the day when we would mail letters. And so he said, when you get this letter, I will have already sent Naaman. He's already gonna be on the way so that he can get healed. Verse seven, when the king of Israel read this letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and to make alive? That this man sends word, uh, to me, to cure a man of leprosy, only consider and see now that he's seeking a quarrel with me. So th this king is thinking this whole thing is a trap. This whole thing is a way to induce some sort of other battle. And they're going to come and Naaman's going to be disappointed. And then they're going to invade us. Doesn't understand the whole thing that's going on here. Verse eight. But when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know there is a prophet in Israel. Verse nine, so Naaman came up with his horses and his chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. So Naaman rolled up in his limousines, full motorcade, flags on the front, right up to the house of the prophet, there's a lot of stuff happening right here in this story. Now there is a possibility, and we don't know for sure, but we're gonna find out for sure. There is a possibility that even though Naaman has leprosy, he might have a pride issue. 
got this whole national situation going on between two nations, comes up to the house. And how many of you know in these situations, you know, dignitaries greet other dignitaries? Do you know what I'm saying? Like when somebody rolls up in the limo, like you don't send, I don't know what to say anymore nowadays. If you're a janitor, I love you. You don't send the janitor out to greet the highest general in the land. You know what I'm saying? It's just not the proper protocol. So here, this is what, here's what's going on. We'll just read. So he comes up to Elijah's house, verse 10, and Elijah sent a messenger to him. The prophet didn't even go out. Sent a messenger saying, go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. These are pretty simple instructions, right? I think Naaman was wanting more. He was wanting uh, more theatrics. Let's read about it. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. He wanted more dramatics. Surely this is what the thing that, this is what he should have done. This is what Elisha should have done. He had a whole expectation on what the prophet should do. Let's read it here again. Verse 11, behold, I thought. Those two words are gonna get you in trouble. And they're gonna, your pride is gonna hang on those two words in so many different situations. This is what I thought you should do. Has anyone ever thought those things? This is, what, this is what I thought they were gonna do. And did they do it? No, they didn't do it. They didn't do what you thought they should do. And what got hurt? Come on now, what are we talking about today? What got hurt when they didn't do what, they, what you thought they should do? What got hurt? your pride. I thought surely they would do this. I thought surely they would do the thing that I think they should do. You know what that is? That's worship of self. And if you are going to live in that place, you will forever be offended, always, all of the time. If you think people are gonna live up to your, this is what they ought to do. This is what they ought to do. Surely they would do this. Surely they, they would do the thing that I dreamed up. But here God and Elijah had a different plan for Naaman. Go wash in the Jordan seven times and you'll be clean. It's a pretty simple instruction, right? But what did Naaman want? He wanted one of these. Surely he would wave his hand over the cure. I'll bring an illustration close to home. 
with Nicole and me and our marriage. Nicole thought when we got married, surely I would be sensitive all of the time. And I would respond with grace and I would respond with empathy for her feelings. And Nicole learned very soon into our marriage that this is not how I respond to things. But surely this man is going to be a pastor. Surely he will be empathetic to my emotions. And Nicole no longer lives offended. (laughs) Because she realized I wasn't going to do what she thought I should do. Man, we can just live in that place of offense all of the time. Disappointed. Why didn't they do this? They didn't do it. That's it. Here, this is a very me thing. Why you know I'm not so empathetic. Get over it. (laughs) They're not going to do what you think they should do. Are you here today? Are you offended at our political leaders? (laughs) Both on the right and the left. Yes, for me. I'm offended by the whole last two years. I'm bothered by it. But Pastor Penn, don't you think you should do? Okay, no, okay? We might not think the like. Don't be offended. But I can't live there. I can't be offended, live in the place of offense and play, pray for our political leaders. I can't do it. I can't maintain both of those things. So I'm gonna pass up those opportunities to live offended. I'm gonna pray for our premier, I'm gonna pray for our prime minister. Or I could just like be offended all of the time by every decision that they make. Verse 12, listen to what he says. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all of the waters of Israel? So you can see one of them to go wash on the Jordan. So now he's like, he's taking this, like our rivers and our country are better than your rivers, Elijah. <laughs> Why would I go wash in the Jordan? <laughs> I'm better than the Jordan. So he turned and went away in a rage. If you're raging over what you thought people should do, you just need to stop because it's your pride. It's your pride. It's the worship of self. I love this, verse 13. But his servants came near maybe when he calmed down a little bit, said to him, my father, is it a great word the prophet has spoken to you? Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? In other words, is this a big deal? Why not just do this thing? Verse 14, so he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. 
and he was clean. Naaman was about to miss out on the blessing of God because of his pride. But he had to abase himself. He had to humble himself. He had to put his opinions down. He had to put his, I thought, fill in the blank. I thought this would happen. And then it didn't. We could just live offended all the time because people don't live up to our expectations. And listen, friends, they won't. Listen, you need to live free of it. People, human beings, fallen human beings are not going to live up to your expectations, especially the ones you haven't even talked about. Married people. <clears throat> Pride sets you up for offense. Listen, I'll, I'll say one more thing and then I'll get off of this because this is everybody's favorite subject. If you are getting offended all of the time, it's not the other people's fault. If you are living in offense, it's not the other people's fault, it's you. It's how you've trained yourself to be. And my recommendation is to stop. Humble yourself. Matthew 11, let's talk about Jesus for a second. This will help us all. Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen, friends, if anybody could have been proud, it could have been Jesus. I mean, I know, I think in one sense, all men think this, we're God's gift to humanity, but Jesus actually was. <laughs> he was actually sent from God. He could have been proud and arrogant but Jesus, what was he? Gentle, humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls if you get over the ought to's that you're imposing on others. Rest for your soul. This is what they should do, and this is what they should do, and this is what they should do, and if they would just consult with me, and if they would just listen to what I said, and this is what they should do, and this is what I think they should do, and here's what these other people should do. And if you stand still, I'm gonna tell you what everybody should do. This is what they should do, and this is what they should do. Um, let's come to Jesus, who's gentle and humble of heart. And let's follow his example. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's a heavy burden to carry for you to think that you know what everybody else needs to do. That's a, too much of a weight to carry. Don't you agree with me today? Come on now. It's, it's too much to carry. You aren't God. What you should do is pray for God to lead them, 
not what you think that they should do. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, our exemplar, humbled himself on the cross, humbled himself to become sin, who knew no sin, humbled himself to become the servant of all. A couple more verses and we're done. Proverbs 11, two, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5, verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud. I don't know about you, but I don't wanna live in opposition to God. Shows favor to the humble. Verse six, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. See, the, the weight of my anxiety is correlated to the disappointments that I hold. Disappointed in what people done or haven't done or should have done. Something didn't go right and so man, my future's gonna be really bad and so I have all of this anxiety. But the scripture says, humble yourselves, casting all your anxiety, anxiousness, on him because he cares for you. So all of these weights and these anxieties and this frustration and this nervousness about the future that we're holding, let's take an inventory of our attention. Let's cast all of that on the Father who cares for us. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you today for your word. We humble ourselves to it. God, and we just take this moment to respond to you. That we give all of our anxiousness to you. And if that's you here this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, you just have an anxious heart just hold your hands up in front of you and just picture yourself giving all your anxiousness to God. God, I give this anxious heart to you. I give all of these things that are causing me anxiety, causing me nervousness about today and about tomorrow. I just give all of this to you because you care about me. I humble myself in your presence thank you for your goodness. I don't carry this offense any longer. I don't carry all of these ought to's that I've imposed on others. I, I don't carry this around any longer. I cast all of this anxiety on you. All of this fear. 
and I put my trust in you. And God, I just pray for anyone in here today who doesn't know you, has never made Jesus the Lord of their lives. I just pray, Lord, in this moment that you are showing them their need of salvation, that they would humble themselves to you. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. So if that's you this morning, just right here where you sit with your eyes closed, if you've never said yes to Jesus or you're rededicating your life to Christ, you can do that right now. Church, let's pray this out loud together. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross and you raised him from the dead so I could know you. So I say yes to that righteousness today. I say yes to a relationship with you. God, I call you my father. Jesus, I call you my Lord. I humble myself to your message today, Lord. I take me off of the throne of my life. And I say that you are my Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. Come on, let's give it up for anyone who made that decision to follow Jesus for the first time this morning. We are so excited for you, and that was one of the best decisions that you'll make uh, in your entire life. And so while that decision was made in private, it's meant to be lived out in community with others. And so we just wanna encourage you to take the Connect card in the seat pocket in front of you. Fill that out and turn it into our team in the lobby at our info desk. We'll have a team member there ready to greet you with a big smile and give you all the resources that you need as you start this journey of faith. Hey, City Church, are you glad that you came to church this morning? So glad that you joined us. Why don't you all stand to your feet? Hey, before you go, I just wanna encourage you. What a great message that was from Pastor Brent. I wanna encourage you to not just let that message live here. Take the things that you learned uh, into your week and let's be intentional this week. Let's take inventory of where our attention is and just walk out a posture of humility and worship uh, this week in our lives. Sound good? Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, we invite you to join us back next week at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We love you, City Church. Have a great week.